Thanks, Daniel. Uh, my name is Ron Kuhl, and I am one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to welcome all of you here this morning. We're going to continue our study of the book of Ephesians. We're up to the last major section of this, of this book, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 here. And in this section, what Paul does is he raises the, uh, the very interest, interesting subject of spiritual warfare. Paul has been calling us to follow Jesus Christ. He's been calling us to put off the old nature. He's been calling us to, to, to serve Christ faithfully in our communities and in our neighborhoods. And, and at this point, it's like he kind of pulls back and says, let me tell you something, though. You need to understand that your battle is not just against flesh and blood. It's not just what you can see with your eyes that you need to, to know that you're in, in, in a battle against. But, but our battle is also against the rulers and against the authorities and against the, the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heaven, heavenly realms. And, and so Paul says, you know what, you've got to understand there are, there are demons, there are devils, there are spiritual forces alive in this world that want to stop you, that want to destroy you, want to wipe you out. And, and so we kind of slowed down, and we've been looking at this. Um, we started a, a, a several weeks ago, and we, and we just talked about what is the enemy like? And we said that all the demons and, and Satan himself is an, a rebellious angel, created good by God, but rebelling against God and saying, we want to be in charge, we want to do it our way. And, and then we looked at how does the enemy fight? And, and we said that the enemy uses is, is distraction. Uh, most often, for most of us, he's going to kind of fight indirectly, come in disguise, but he distracts us from focusing where God wants us to focus. He deceives us, distorts things. He accuses us. He divides us. And, and we looked at how the devil works and, and how the enemy fights. And, and then we started last week to ask, how do we fight back? How do we fight back? And this is where we talk about the armor of God. This is where we say, you know, the, the, the way that we fight in this spiritual battle is we put on the full armor of God. This is what Paul says, all right? Therefore, verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, all right? When you are tempted, when you are facing persecution, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. And then Paul goes on to identify specifically the, the parts of the armor of God, and we did three of these last week, these first three. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, all right? And we said, we got to know the truth about God and about us. And we have to be committed to speaking the truth because the devil hates the truth. Demons hate the truth with a breastplate of righteousness in place. We said, God, put on the righteousness of Christ, but also help me to be committed to doing the right thing. And then and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And we said, God, remind us of your peace so that we stand ready to stand firm or to go and tell. This week we're going to go on to, uh, to the next part, and it says this. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so again, what Paul is doing, the image, this kind of a picture would have been very familiar to all of the people of Paul's days. They would have seen Roman soldiers around uh, in their armor like this. And um, again, what Paul does is he says, you know, they wear the belt there that included that apron in front. And Paul says, you know what, instead of a belt, we put on truth, okay? We put on the truth. And, and a breastplate like this covering the chest and the shoulders. And what we put on instead of a breastplate, we put on righteousness, and, and then those boots that have those, those, those cleats on the bottom and that they're, they're light and, and, and mobile and able to stand firm but also able to move. And we said, you know what, that's the readiness that comes, ready to stand firm or ready to go from the gospel of peace. And this week what we're going to pick up on is the shield that becomes faith. And, and then we're going to talk about the helmet that becomes salvation. And, and then we'll finish up by talking about the sword, which is the word of God, all right? So we've talked about the first three 
there we go. The, the shield of faith is next, all right? And, and what Paul says is, is this, going back to the text again. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So, again, we, we talked about saying, you know, as we, maybe all of us wake up in the morning, just to say, God, I want to put on the armor of God. I want to be dressed in this, because we don't know what battle we're going to face that day. And so if we put on truth, and we put on righteousness, and we put on peace, now we put on that shield of faith. We pick up. It's interesting. We put on the first three things, and we take up these other things, okay? We, we take them up, and, and we use them. So we start with that shield of faith, there we are. All right, there's our guy. And um, let's, let's zero in on this. That, that shield would be one, and this was, there were kind of two shields that Roman soldiers would use. You may have seen a rounder, uh, a smaller one that was round and so on that would be used kind of in close combat. Uh, that's not the one Paul is talking about. This is the one Paul is talking about. You can see it's curved, okay? It, it's curved like this, and so you could hide behind it. It would cover your sides as well. The frame would be wooden, and it would have metal on the outside of it. Um, and then you'll also know this, this thing right in the middle there is called a shield boss. And what that was is, is the place where the hand of the soldier would go on the inside. Okay, so that a, a sword couldn't come through and, and, and ruin his grip on that. So that would be there to kind of deflect some stuff. The covering would be um, leather of some sort, most probably, okay? And so that's, that's what it would look like. If you want to see it from the front, it was about four feet tall, about two and a half feet from side to side. And again, it would cover most of your body. Now, Paul doesn't make a lot of this, but I, I, it would have been so familiar to the people of his days. It had to be at least in the back of his mind. Because one of the reasons Roman shields were designed this way is that they could be used together. All right, let me show you three of the ways that they could be used together. See, one of the things you could do is, is they would all stand next to each other. And, they were, and, and this was called the Roman wall, okay? This was a Roman wall. You would put all your shields next to each other, and you can see the way that it provides great protection for this entire unit of people. You could also do it where you'd have some of the, sh- the, the shields in the ground, one person maybe holding that one and the one that goes over their head. And you can see the guys behind, they can shoot arrows, they can throw spears, they can do that and they're still protected, okay? And, 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 and again, for me, I think part of what's so interesting about that is to think about how in faith we protect each other. There's something about, you know, Paul's so into unity here that I think somewhere in the back of his mind he has this image. And then this uh, formation was one that the Roman soldiers used uh, with this, the, the shields in front, but also others holding their shields over the top. And they could, you know, march up to a, a, a city, a castle, and basically be fully protected. This was called the, the turtle. Honest, really it was. So, you know, they would turtle. And, and, and they would march that way. Again, Paul doesn't make a lot about how we connect with each other, but I think there's something there about saying, you know, our faith, as we walk through it together, Paul has called us to unity, to make every effort to preserve the unity of the church. Chapter 4, right? Make every effort. And I, and I somehow got to believe he had some picture like that of saying, you know what, you protect me and I protect you, and we have each other's backs, all right? So that was the shield for a Roman soldier. It, it, what it really did is it protected the whole body. Let me just say a couple things about it. it. It's one that would be particularly helpful from arrows and spears, things that would be thrown from longer distances, and it was also helpful to, to fend off flaming arrows. One of, the, one of the ways that people in Paul's day would fight was they would take their arrows, dip them in tar, pitch, something that would be flammable, and then they would shoot those. And then what that would do then is obviously not just bring the arrow, but start a fire. 
And if you can think of a city that's surrounded by, you know, block walls of some sort, by stone walls, inside there's wood, inside there's hay, inside there's this stuff that's going to burn. So if you can shoot an arrow in, or if you can shoot an arrow at an army and start people on fire, uh, you've caused a lot of havoc, all right? It was, in some ways, the nastiest part of, of a battle. And Paul, again, picks up on this specifically. He says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So what does it mean for us to take up the shield of faith? If I'm going to in the morning say, God, help me to take up my shield of faith. Help me to dress in that shield of faith. What, what is that talking about? What is, what is the faith that he's talking about? I, I want to start with this as, as a basic definition of, I think, what Paul has in mind. Faith is, is a deep, complete trust in God. Okay, it's, it's, it's just saying, God, I trust you, and I put my life in your hands, and I, and I, and I give all that I am to you. It's, it's not only knowing. It's not just knowing that, that God can save and protect and guide. It's not just knowing that God can do these things. It's, it's trusting. It's trusting that he will do them, and it's basically the image I use is it's putting our lives in God's hands. What we're doing is we're saying, God, I put myself in your hands, and I trust you completely. There's a, an old illustration. I've used it here before, but I, the picture of it to me is just so good. Um, I don't know if the story is completely true or not, but the point it makes is, all right? But again, it, it, some of you have heard it. You maybe heard it from me, but uh, the story is of a tightrope walker by the name of the great Blondin, and, and apparently, and this part is true. They know he did this, that he walked uh, at Niagara Falls a tightrope from one end of the falls to the other end over the Niagara Falls, right? He walked that way. And the story goes um, that, that when he got back to that original side, there were a group of people there gathered, and his manager was firing everybody up. And, and his manager says, you know, do you believe that, that he can do that pushing a wheelbarrow? And people are like, yes, we believe he can do that pushing a wheelbarrow, right? We believe he can do that. Okay, he says, you know, do you believe he could do it pushing a wheelbarrow with a person in it? Yes, we believe he can do it, pushing a wheelbarrow with a person in it. And then, of course, comes the question of faith. Who's going to get in? Who's willing to get in? I believe he can, but I'm not willing to get in the wheelbarrow. Faith is saying, God, I get in your wheelbarrow. God, I trust you. I, I give up my rights. I give up my wisdom. I give up my protection, and I climb into your wheelbarrow, God, and I'm going to trust you with all that I have and all that I am. That's what Paul is talking about here. And, and, and as we start a day to just say, God, God, I put my faith in you. I climb in your wheelbarrow. And God, I'm going to trust you with all that I say, with all that I do. It, 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 faith is, let me give you kind of three examples of it. First, faith is, is trusting that God forgives us. And again, I said that, the, that one of the ways Satan comes after us is, is, is accusation, right? Saying to us, you're guilty and God can't love you and you're such a failure and you're no good and, and you're just terrible. When I have, you know, I say, God, I trust your complete, I trust what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I, I trust your complete forgiveness. God, I, I know that. I, I, on my own, I would fail. I'm dead in my own sins, but I have been saved by your grace. And so it's just saying, God, I... I when the enemy accuses me, the shield of faith protects me because what I say is, is, is God, enemy, I'm not, I'm not saved by myself, but Jesus Christ has promised to save me, and I, and I trust in God's, in, in God's forgiving us. And, and, and second, faith is trusting that God protects us. All of us look for security. Think about it, right? All of us look for security. And, and for so often, what I do during the day is I find my security in my own abilities, in my own resources, 
in all the things that I can do, right? If I have a big enough bank account, how do I feel security? If, if I have a big enough bank account and if I'm secure enough in my job, then I say I have security. But you know what? You can never have enough money. And, 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 and so faith says, no, my ultimate security and I'm not saying we, you know, I mean, you, you, you get locks on your doors, but, but my ultimate security is not in how many uh, missiles the United States has. My ultimate security is, is in God's love. My ultimate security is in God's protection. My ultimate security is in God taking care of me. And, 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 and so often, again, when we're tempted to sin, it's because we're looking for security someplace else. So when I put on that shield of faith, when I say, God, I trust that you can protect us. I trust not that everything's going to be easy, but that nothing can take me out of your hands. That I've put myself in your wheelbarrow. Nothing's, you're not going to drop me. We might have to go through some really difficult times. But God, I trust that you are going to take care of me. Faith is trusting that God protects us. And, and then faith is trusting that God knows what's best for us. And here I want to suggest that, that the shield of faith, one of the reasons it's so important in protecting us, one of the reasons it's so good with that, is that I think at, at the end of the day, basically every temptation is, is a question of whether we trust God or not. Let me say that again. Every temptation is a question of whether we trust God or not. Because what happens almost all the time is we know what God is calling us to do. We know what God wants us to do. The question is, do we really trust that that's going to work? We know God tells us to tell the truth, but, but do we really think that in this situation it's going to be okay if we tell the truth, all right? I mean, look at the very first temptation, right? Adam and Eve are in the garden, and the serpent comes along, and, and, and God has already spoken to them. In, in chapter 2, God has said this, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God says, just don't do this, all right? Because it's going to destroy you, all right? You're going to die if you do this. What's the first thing? One of the first things, not the first thing, but one of the first things that the serpent says. The serpent says, just clearly quoting God almost, but contradicting it, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. And, and right there, Eve and Adam and Ron and you and all of us are faced with that choice. God says, trust me, this is the way to find true life. Satan and, and our old nature says, no, this is the way to find true life. God, God says, trust me, go this way. And Satan says, go this way. And, and that's why I say deep down, the biggest question of our obedience is a question of, do we trust God? Do we have faith? Do we really dare to believe that God wants what's best for us? Or are we going to say, God, I can't trust you on this one. Every time, not every time, almost every time we sin, what we're saying is, God, I don't trust you. Right? I don't trust you. I don't trust what you're calling me to do here. I don't trust going down that route because I don't think it will bring me life. And, and, and so faith is trusting. It is trusting that God knows best. So that's, a, that's what that faith is. To put up the shield of faith is, is to say, God, I, I put my life in your hands. It's that deep, complete trust in God. Now, what Paul is saying here, just real quick on this one, but he, he's not saying go get that faith. He's talking to people who have already got faith. But what he's saying is deepen it, take it up, live it out, grow it deeper, push yourself to more and more trust in Jesus Christ, to more and more trust in God. Take up the shield of faith, and and that faith will protect us, that faith will drive away and, and protect us from those flaming arrows, okay? It will stop those, and it will block those. And, and, and so the way I would put it kind of in a nutshell is that faith quiets the voice of the devil. Faith keeps him at a distance because his lies just don't even get through that shield. 
All right, faith, it, it, it just, it, 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 we're just so committed to knowing that God is, we've climbed in that wheelbarrow and we've said, God, whatever it is, I want to be in your hands today. The prayer that I would suggest for this one is, is this. God, I put myself in your hands. Help me to trust you enough to stay there. Last week I talked about having prayer cards. I'm not going to have them this week, but next week we will. They'll look something like this. Um, we're going to laminate them if you want them and so on. So, But, you know, God, just help me. I put myself in your hands and help me to trust you enough to stay there. I take up the shield of faith, all right? So, Belt, breastplate, boots, shield. The next one is helmet, all right? Got to put on the helmet of salvation, all right? Again, real simple, take the helmet of salvation, Ephesians 4.18. If we go to our guy here again and we focus, zoom in on his helmet, uh, you can see it's made of, uh, it was made of either bronze or iron. Uh, it would have ear kind of things that would come down and protect the cheeks and that part of the face. Um, you can see a guy who's got it on here. Um, and it would, in the back, just kind of interesting, there's a little section that would protect your neck, okay? That would, that would go down and it would protect your neck as well. So what did the helmet do for a Roman soldier? Obviously, again, here we're protecting a very important body, part of our body, our heads, our necks. We're talking about our brains here, right? And, 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 and we're talking about, and their science might not have been, they might not have known kind of the specifics of brain function and all on like, like, like we do, but they knew that it, 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 you could get killed if you got a shot to the head. And, and they knew you could lose your, you know, your thinking clearly, right? You could get kind of loopy. And, and so you didn't want to, in battle, to all of a sudden lose your thinking. You didn't want to lose your ability to think straight. And so you'd wear a helmet like this. It was particularly helpful against what's called a broadsword. The sword we're going to look at in just a second is a short sword. But this was particularly helpful against a broadsword, which was a very long sword. You can see from the handle there, it's, it's a long sword. And, and so what would happen in a battle would be either soldiers would be marching and they would, or, you know, in battle. And they'd take that broadsword and they'd lift it over their heads and they'd bring it down and try to give somebody a splitting headache, literally. And, 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 and they'd bring it down, try to split their head open like that. Or those who were on, on horses would have this kind of a sword, right? And they'd be taking it and they'd be, you know, coming down. And so you needed something on top of your head. You needed a helmet. You needed something to protect your brain, to protect your ability to think. All right. So what does it mean for us to, 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 to put on the helmet of salvation? What does it mean for us to, to take that helmet and, and, to, and to put it on? Well, let's think about salvation. Salvation is, is about rescue and restoration, okay? In the Bible, it's always God's rescue. It's always God's res- restoration. So it's, it's, we're rescued out of danger. We're rescued from sin. We're rescued from problems. We're re- rescued from illness. We're rescued from death. And, and, and we're not only rescued, but we're also restored, for God's salvation always includes restoration. It always includes making everything new, and it always includes making things the way that they were supposed to be, all right? Now, one of the interesting things to notice, if you've never noticed this, I, I hope you'll find it interesting, and it will save you from some confusion, perhaps. But when the Bible talks about salvation, it talks about it in kind of three ways, in three tenses. On the one hand, the Bible talks about salvation in the past tense, all right, as if it's something that's all done. Salvation is something that we have been saved. Ephesians 2. By, by grace you have been saved through faith. In its past tense, you have been. We are already saved. I am already forgiven. I am already in Christ. I am already, I have that. Sometimes when the Bible talks about salvation, it says it like it's all done. But interestingly, sometimes when it talks about salvation, it talks about it going on right now. We are being saved. If you look at, at uh, what is it there, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, and the English Standard Version, ESV, gets it, I think, best. But, but it talks about how right now God is saving us. 
And, and so we are saved. We are being saved. And then, of course, the Bible also says we will be saved. Same word of salvation. We will be saved. And, and here we look at Romans 13, 11. It says the salvation that we have is nearer than we first believed. So it's not here yet, but it's getting closer. And so when we talk about putting on the helmet of salvation, I think it's really helpful to remember that and to think about the fact that we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved, all right? So what that means is, is, is we have to grab onto what is already there, all right? So we are, the Bible says, already, and Paul gives us two things in Ephesians, we are already alive in Christ, all right? And we are already seated with God in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 2, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ. He, 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 rose us, he raised us up from death with Christ and seated us with him, with God, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And those are things that we already have, okay? Those are things that are true for us if we belong to Jesus Christ. If we have surrendered, if we've climbed into that wheelbarrow, if we have faith, then we have these things already. And someday... Again, someday salvation will be complete and everything will be made new. So what does that mean? What I think it means for us when we put on the helmet of salvation, what we're talking about is, is grab hold. Grab hold of what God has done and live in hope of what God is going to do in terms of salvation. To recognize that we have great power already, friends. That we are already seated with God in Christ. That we are already, that Paul has prayed that we can know how much God loves us, but also the amazing power of God that's available to us. And, and I think what, what we're praying here is, God, help me, to, help me to grab all the resources that are available to me because of salvation. Help me. Help me to realize that your grace is sufficient. Help me to realize that I have power today to fight against. I have power to love and power to serve and, and, and all of those things. So grab hold of what God has already done, but also live in hope of, of full salvation. Live in that hope of, of full salvation. It's, it's, friends, it's knowing that we win. I, I, I mean, I, I, I can, read the book of Revelation, friends. Get to the very end, and we win, Okay. So what Paul is saying, live in that knowledge. Put on the helmet of salvation. Know that one day all things are going to be made new. Know that one day there's going to be no more death and no more cancer. And we live out of that reality. And we live in the power we already have. I, I, I couldn't help but think about Paul's words in, in Romans 8 verse 37. Where Paul says, you know what, know this, we are more than conquerors. It, it, it's, it's super conquerors. We are, we are not just going to survive this thing. But one day we will be more than conquerors. We will be just in God's presence. And if I put on the helmet of salvation, if I put on the helmet of salvation, what I'm saying is, God, help me to know all the resources that I have today in whatever battles you call me to fight. And, and let me know that in the end, God, you win. In the end, we win. Satan hates it. Satan hates it when we know that God wins. So the prayer here, I would suggest, would be this. God, remind me that we win. And, 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 and again, I, I, that doesn't make it cheap. That doesn't mean nothing bad's going to happen. But we live with the assurance that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 again. God, remind me that we win. Help me to grab hold of all you have already done for me and give me hope for what is yet to come. And again, every day, put on that helmet of salvation. Say, God, I know that you are going to make all things new. I know that right now you have already made me new. Help me to live out of that salvation that you are giving to me. All right, so belt, breastplate, boots, shield, helmet, and then finally the sword 
of the word of God, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Real quick on something here. Um, like the belt of truth, we said the belt is truth. And, and so you might say, well, this, so the sword is the spirit then, right? It's the same kind of thing. No, this is the sword that is not of, is, is, yeah, of is the right word, but, but it really means here from. The sword that comes from the Holy Spirit, the sword that belongs to the Holy Spirit, which is the Word of God, okay? So that's what we're to take up, the Word of God. Again, if we go to our guy here, we draw him in close. This is where those, uh, those daggers would be, one kind of behind maybe the, the shield there. Um, on either side, they would be there, uh, and this is what they would look like, all right? So what was the sword of a Roman soldier used for? First, it was a defensive weapon, okay? Right, you can you can block somebody's thrust with a sword. You can you can stop somebody with a sword. But and this is interesting. This is the only piece basically of offensive weapons that we have. Up to this point, everything else is defensive. The sword. I, I suppose we could say we could kick somebody. I'll kick you. Um, it, 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 but but that's not. This is the first time that we have an offensive weapon. This is the first time that we take the battle to somebody else. This is the first time that we that we move in on somebody else. And and I'll tell you why I think that's important in just a minute. And and again, we're, it's used in close fighting. Okay, this is not one like the shield kind of protects you from those long arrows from far away. This one this one is like we're face to face. This shield, this sword is not very long, and so we are right next to each other. So what does it mean for us to take up the word of God? What does it mean for us to take up the word of God? First, it, and, and this is kind of in the most general way, I think what it means is it, it's the Bible, right? It's the word of God is the Bible. It's, it's what God is, it's scripture. It, it, it's that book that we read that teaches us who God is, that we trust, that we say it's God's word and so on. And, and, and so that's what we take up. And sometimes, again, it's a defensive thing. We see Jesus using it as a defensive tool um, in Luke 4. He's, he's being tempted by the devil, and this is what happens. The devil said to Jesus, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And, and some of you know how Jesus answered. He said, Jesus answered, it, it is written, okay? Uh, it, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, okay? So what did Jesus do when he faced temptation? Quoted scripture, right? That's one of the big reasons to quote scripture. I mean, to memorize scripture or to read scripture is just to get it in so that the spirit can kind of remind us of that and, and the devil can't stand it when we quote, quote scripture. He, he knows that he's lost already, okay? And, and so in that sense, the Bible kind of is, is used defensively to, to block those thrusts. So there's a, one sense in which the entire Bible is the sword of the, of the Spirit. It, it's the Word of God. But there's another sense. The word that Paul uses here in the Greek, you don't need to know this, but it's, it's logos is the usual one for the word. This is rhema, okay? This is rhema. And, and when Paul uses rhema in his other letters, it almost always refers to something more specific than the whole Bible. It refers to the news about Jesus Christ. It's the gospel, specifically the good news about Jesus. All right, Romans 10, verse 18. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word, and that's rhema, the word about Christ. And, and, and so in particular, I think what we need to recognize is, is that what Paul is saying is that our offensive weapon is the gospel. Our offensive weapon is bringing the love of Christ into this world. Our offensive weapon is reaching out to others and letting them know that even though we are dead in our sins, God loves us. And, and so when we, when we share the love of Christ, this is, this is what I think is cool. When we share the love of Jesus, we're raiding the enemy's camp. When we share the love of Jesus, 
We are going after those who are, you know, in the enemy's camp right now. Satan wants to draw as many people away from Christ. And when we bring the good news, whether we do that verbally or whether we do that just with acts of love, what we're doing is we're bringing the gospel and, and, and we're using the sword of the Spirit. We're using the sword of the Word of God, the gospel, the good news. And by that, we are raiding the enemy's camp. We're bringing light into the darkness. And, and, and so you do that when you, when you tell your neighbor about Christ. You do that when you mentor a kid at Townline. You, you, you bring the presence of Christ. And, and the devil hates it when we bring love like that. The devil hates it when we do that. And, 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 and so again, I, I think it's so significant. Christians, have, have, we have used real weapons when God gives us spiritual weapons way too often. And, and so I was thinking, you know, one of the questions we could ask is, how do we kill our enemies? And this is just so Jesus, right? How do we kill our enemies? By showing people how much God loves them. By showing people, by bringing the presence of Christ, by preaching and living out the gospel, by using the word of God to penetrate the darkness. And we kill by love. We kill by saying, guess what? I mean, it's the weirdest battle strategy there is. <laughs> Our goal is not to, is not to wipe out all those, those people in the enemy's camp. Our goal is to love them to Christ. And so we go in looking, well, like Jesus going to a cross, somewhat foolish. And he could have called on all these angels to destroy those who were against him. Instead, he goes in love. And he gives himself. And that is just so cool to me to think about. That when I am doing that, if I do that, and I love somebody in the name of Jesus, then I am going into enemy territory. The word of God gives the devil fits. And so we take up the word of God. The prayer I would use here is this. God, fill me with your word. Help me to know your word and let me share the love of Jesus wherever I go. So those six things to put on the belt of truth to put on the breastplate of righteousness, the boots of readiness from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the word of God. Like I said, we'll have these available next week, um, and, and maybe that'll help you, and we can all get into this pattern of doing this. Yesterday was, no, it wasn't Halloween. It was Reformation Day, okay? Yesterday was Reformation Day, and it was uh, Reformation in the church was started by Martin Luther. He, he posted the, the 95 Theses, and it not going to go through that, but Martin Luther was somebody who believed seriously in devils and demons. He was very aware of spiritual warfare, and in his wonderful hymn that he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, in one of the verses he says this, he says, and though this world, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble, tremble not for him, His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. And then I love that, one little word shall fell him. One little word, Jesus, will indeed destroy the devil. So as we go from this place, put on the full armor of God. Let's pray together. Father, we need to be ready, and we want to be faithful, and so Teach us how to pray the armor of God. Teach us how to put this on at the beginning of every day and to re-put it on if we need to, Father. We want to be ready to serve you. We want to be ready to bring your love. We want to be ready to resist temptation. We want to stand strong in unity. And so teach us to put on the full armor of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.